Bibles turn there really quickly. David and I, when we, Pastor David and I, when we looked up uh, the translation we wanted to read from this year, for this verse, we agreed on the New Living Translation. We thought that it encapsulated it best for our setting. But the, the verse you saw up there earlier when we read it as a church was from the King James Version. The, the point is simple that I want our church to, to grasp for this year and forevermore. And there are three truths. Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The first task for our church this year is to grasp the truths of God's word. When we read scripture, when we study scripture, we ask the question, what has God said and what has God for my life? The second verse is 24 and we say, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Tuesday night was an example of stirring up one another to love and good works. Both David Reed and David Chase came into David Chase, David Reed, Rose Yarbrough before I had even had my first sip of coffee on Wednesday morning. I'm an ogre before then, just like you and you. I'm pointing at you, Yoni. Before I had even had my first sip of coffee, those three people came to me and they were so excited about what they had experienced the night before. And all we did was move a bunch of pews. And they smell, by the way. I don't know if y'all know that. They're dusty and dirty and heavy. All of us had bruises, except for Dave, apparently. All of us had bruises. But they were so excited and encouraged. Why? Because the church was stirring up love and good works with one another. We had a very mundane, painful task to move pews from point A to point B. And then we're going to take these pews back. And people were so encouraged. Because God has given the fellowship of the brethren as a gift for us. Look at the world around you for just a moment. It's in turmoil. Republican hates Democrat. White hates black. Black hates white. But the church can be the place where Jesus Christ unites all people. Amen. Just be here to do the mundane task is a witness to the world that we can overcome division. Lastly, it says this, do not forsake the fellowship or the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We were all here on Tuesday and here you are this morning in the gym. The setting isn't as beautiful as our church. One thing I love is that you're all on the bottom floor. I hope that over the next four weeks you will pray that God will relocate you to the bottom floor. I'm not joking. I don't know why you're laughing. This isn't a comedy routine. Not yet. But this is not a comedy routine. Routine. I see you shaking your head. I need you guys down on the bottom floor. 
I love seeing you. It's an encouragement to me to see us together, to see us worshiping together. But being here is important. It is important to everyone. God inspired the writer of Hebrews to put that verse in there for a time like this. Don't forsake being here. Our passage this morning is in Exodus 3, verses 13 through 22. If you have your Bibles, would you turn there, please? Exodus 3, 13 through 22. And just hold your place. This passage asks a very simple question, or a very complicated question, depending on where you want to find the answer. The question that Exodus 3 13 through 22 ask is this who is God who is God when I studied religion at FIU FIU is a pluralistic religious studies department pluralism means that they recognize all of the various religions they say that for Islam, if you ask a, a Muslim, God is Allah. And if you ask a Jew, God is Yahweh or Elohim. If you ask a Buddhist, God is Nirvana or is a higher consciousness. If you ask a Hindu, God is Krishna. And if you ask a Christian, God is Christ. But their main point was this. We're all going up the same mountain. We're just taking different paths. It's a wonderful illustration if, in fact, it describes a true reality. Is that what's really going on? Are we all on the same mountain? Do we all just call God by different names? Or are we on different mountains? On different paths? Are some gods real and others not real? The question we're going to answer this morning is this. Who is God? At this point in the narrative, God is called upon Moses to be his deliverer. He's revealed himself to Moses in the wonder of a burning bush, a bush that's on fire but not being consumed. The Bible says Moses has turned his face from God in fear. He has seen this amazing thing and has obeyed God's command to remove his sandals from his feet for the ground upon which he stands is holy. But at this point in the narrative, it takes an ironic twist. How is it, I kept wondering this week, that Moses can question his worthiness before Pharaoh and not his worthiness to debate with God? So often, humans have a misplaced fear of those who can destroy the body and not the soul, rather than the fear of the one who can destroy both the body and the soul. Moses may have hid his face from God in fear, but his tongue is as brave as ever. 
Our passage this morning picks up midway in the narrative. The discussion has now turned away from Moses and is now on the topic asking this question, who is God? Look with me if you would at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God says, I have a name. It's not all these other names that other religions profess. I am who I am is my name. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God says, the Lord... The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let that sit for just a moment. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty-handed. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians." The point I want to draw from this passage is this. Our knowledge of God is based completely on three things. His decision, his sovereign decision to reveal himself in A, his actions, B, his relationships to us, and three, the fulfillment of his promises. Let's pray. Father, let us know more about you today. Let us know more about you so that we may know more about ourselves. Let us know more about you and in the knowledge of ourselves, see our unworthiness so that we might love our neighbor more, knowing that we stand before you naked and in need. Let us be like beggars who have found bread, showing other beggars where to find it. Lord, let love fill this church. Amen. The first point I want to make this morning is then that God is known by his actions. The God of heaven and earth is the God who does. 
He is not an iron idol. He is not a stale stone. Our God acts. Look at Exodus 3.14. Moses asked a question. He says, who are you, God, essentially? Who should I say is the God I'm speaking to? And God answers this way, I am who I am. God says again, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Who made you judge over us was the question that the Jewish slaves asked Moses when he tried to separate them from a fight. They had witnessed Moses' killing of the Egyptian taskmaster only the day before. That the Jews have already rejected Moses as their leader would have certainly been burnt into his memory. Moses is a man without a people, a man without a God. He has neither a relationship with God nor his own people. He is a vagabond of sorts, a shepherd for hire. And as he sits here speaking with God, he is also a man without a purpose. The comfort of the fields was his refuge. There the sheep knew his voice. They obeyed his commands and followed as him as their leader. Whether or not this life was easy for Moses, we don't know. At the very least, the risk involved with leading sheep across a desert were far less than the risk of leading an enslaved people from Egypt to the promised land. The question that Moses then is asking is, who are you, Lord? The Apostle Paul asked the same question. It's the question that all of us should be asking about the God we serve in a day and age where the word of God is constantly spoken about, yet never defined, we as the church must answer the question, who are you, Lord? I think of the story of Elijah with the prophets of Baal. Before they had their great feud on Mount Carmel, Elijah said this. He came near to the people and he said to them, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Elijah says that the people did not answer him because they too did not know who God was. We're living in a world that does not know God. They have never known God. It has always been incumbent upon the church to speak and declare God's name clearly and concisely to be the light in a dark world and to proclaim to the world that the Lord is God. When Elijah went to Mount Carmel to battle the prophets of Baal, he had an idol on one hand and yet had the God in heaven on the other. And the question on that day was, which one is going to act? Which one can be counted on when you're in your moment of greatest need? So Baal, they begin to prophesy, they begin to shout out to Baal to call upon their idols when they need him. They need him to defeat Elijah. 
They need him to support King Ahab's regime. They need Baal to show himself to be the God who will act. They begin to cut themselves. They begin to throw themselves on the altar. Yet there was no voice because Baal's name is I am not. Think about what God is sending Moses to do. Go to Egypt into a world of graven images and false gods and the name that I'm going to give you is this, I am who I am. When I told you the little story about FIU, the problem with the story was that we were trying to find the same name that Moses was looking for, an identifier for God. We wanted some kind of identity. What's his name? Is it Allah? Is it Yahweh? Is it Christ? But God has defined himself in his acts. God says, go in this knowledge. I am who I am. The God of the Bible has named his own name through what he does. Listen to what Paul said about God in Romans 1. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that men are without excuse. How can we look at a world of beauty and grandeur, intricacy and intelligence, love and joy, and say that there is not a God who acts? David said in Psalms 14:1 that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Only a fool could look at this beautiful universe and say, there is no God. Our God acts. Our God defines himself by what he has done. But so many times, we want to know the gods of idols rather than the God who is and who acts. Every human being will worship something, money, women, material possessions, political parties, anarchy, sports, education, etc., etc. Each of these things are in and of themselves good, but they become evil when they, be, when they replace the one God who acts and who can suffice every need that you have. I am who I am, God says to Moses. God wants to be known, but he defines himself through his acts. This morning, give God the glory for all of his acts. Know and honor him with spiritual prayers, praises, and songs. The second thing God tells us, or this passage reveals to us about God's name, is that God is known in relationship. He is not a theory, but a person. And like all persons, he wants to be known in relationship. When I went to FIU and I studied philosophy, I took a class called Religious Philosophy or Philosophy of Religion. 
And the whole topic was on the topic of the existence of God. Does God exist? And we got into these grand theories of whether or not God exists. And if God does exist, how does he exist? Is he a person? Is he a force? Is he all good? Is he all knowing? Half of the class was dedicated to the question of theodicy, which is the question of how God can be, how God can exist, and yet there be evil in the world. How can God be good? How can God be all-knowing? And how can God be all-powerful, yet evil still exists? And I was impressed with the theories of Alvin Plantinga, who had come and demonstrated that the logical problem of evil was basically refuted by this. An all-loving, all-knowing, and all-powerful God can allow evil to happen if he has a good reason for doing it. That one premise shows that the logical problem of evil and God's existence is unraveled, and it is not a logical problem. But that was theory. When I left school, I knew all of the theories about God. I knew how to answer the question of God's existence. But it wasn't until one day when a professor in love put his hand on me and gave me the grace of Jesus Christ that I fully knew God in relationship. Many of us know God in theory, but we don't know God in relationship. Look at what God said to Moses. Say this to the people. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac has appeared to me saying, I have observed you. And what has been done in Egypt. When God defines his name, he not only defines his name by the one who acts, but he also defines his name by the one who is in relationship. We don't worship simply a name or a theory of God. We worship a God who is related to his people. Listen to what the word says in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God is a God of relationship. God is not the God of out there. He has never been far from his people. In the past, in the Old Testament, as, as Hebrews tells us, he dwelt with his people in a tabernacle. 
First, he dwells with his people in a burning bush in our very narrative today. God has come to earth to tell Moses, to commission Moses to do a great deed. He speaks through the prophet of Moses. He has them build the tabernacle. It's in the midst of all 12 tribes of Israel. It is there in the Holy of Holies where God's presence is on earth. God is a God who dwells with his people. In the past, he spoke to his people. When they were in the wilderness by day, God was in their midst by a cloud. At night, he was in their midst in a pillar of fire. God dwells with his people. God's name is known through relationship. But then John tells us that the word of God, the very word that created the universe, that made you and I and made everything, that word became flesh and tabernacled with us. His name was called Emmanuel, God with us. God has revealed himself to us by his acts, but he has also revealed himself to us in his relationship. And now, when Christ has ascended unto the Father, he has sent his spirit to dwell in us today. Our God reveals himself in relationship. And today, you can have a relationship with our God if you will receive his son by faith. God called Peter, John, and Paul to be witnesses to the world that the same God who they knew personally wanted to know you and I personally. But now God wants to relate to us through his spirit. All of us long for a day when we will experience the presence of the Trinity to see the Son and to see the glory of the Father in the Son and to have the fellowship of the Spirit. We all are longing for that, those of us believers, to have that unity. But God has given us a comforter in the Holy Spirit. We show God to the world when we live in the unity of relationship. That our God is a God of relationship. Think about how the Christian God is so vastly superior because he has become man. He has endured a cross for you and I and now has sent his spirit so that we might have relationship with him. God wants to have a relationship with you. Will you let him Think of the story of the Laodicean church. Listen to what our God reveals about him. He says, I stand outside of your very heart, this very moment, I stand outside knocking. How is God knocking? Through the preaching and proclamation of his word. There is no other God than the name Jesus Christ that men and women will be saved. No other name under heaven given to men. For salvation. Jesus is knocking on your heart this very moment through the preaching of the word. God, who is God? He stands at your heart saying, let me in. If you will receive his son by faith, 
he will come into you and you too will have fellowship. Just think about how amazing that is. Think about how amazing it is that God wants to have fellowship with you. Have you seen this commercial with LeBron James where he's sitting with the boy and he's, the boy's sitting in science lab and he's got his phone out and he's looking, he's watching highlights, which is apparently all our kids do in class now is watch NBA highlights. And he's watching it and all of a sudden LeBron James shows up and he's sitting there and he says, man, Mr. Such and Such, he's not paying attention. And LeBron is in the class with him and the kid's like, wow, it's LeBron James. It's the way we all act when we see superstars. We're amazed because they're here and I'm here and we can talk to them because we're persons and, and we want to know them. We want to possess them. We want to have a relationship with them. We want our worth to be gained from simply knowing someone. We want to be important by association. Look at these superstars. They always have a band of people following them. It gives those people their, whatever they call them, their brigade of, of uh, their, their, their groupies that follow them. It gives them worth in this life that they get to follow a superstar. And that superstar is going to fail and die and disappoint. But the God of heaven and earth stands at your heart right now, knocking, saying, you can have a relationship with me. Our God is known by his acts, and he is known in relationship. If you want an answer to the question, who is God? He is at your heart right now saying, open up your door and you will have your answer. Go ahead, clap. That was good. It's true. Think about our hearts for just a second. That's where our hearts are. All of us want something to be God. And God is standing there saying, I'll be your God right now. Idols always disappoint. Lastly, God is known by keeping his promises. God's name is known in fulfilling his promises. Look at Exodus 3.17. God says, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. God is known through the fulfillment of his promises. God promises to us that history is not accidental. The Jews are going to curse God and call for Moses to take them back to Egypt. When the Jews are weak in their faith, they will desire slavery more than to keep God's promises. The Israelites wandered for 40 years before entering the promised land because of their unbelief. But because or just because of their unfaithfulness, this doesn't mean that God will be unfaithful. God reveals his grace and his providence in that all the things he works out for all of those who love God, for all those who love God, 
God promises that all things that happen will work together for our good. When my father was having his triple bypass surgery, it was very scary. We didn't think he was going to make it because the doctor said there's a high chance he's not going to make it through the surgery. And we had to wait in the waiting room. It was the longest four hours of my life up until this point. I was waiting to get a call. Every time the phone rings, there was families there, several families around the waiting room. It's a very big and beautiful waiting room. And I remember every time the phone would ring, family members who were taken away for just a moment from a funny joke that someone had said would immediately get serious and run to that phone wanting to know if their loved one was okay. The nurses would call throughout the surgery and let us know. And I remember as we sat there and I was worried the whole time, a guy from my dad's Sunday school class came in. And he said, before I leave, can I pray with you? I said, sure, absolutely. I'm never going to deny a person to pray with me. And he said, let's just all hold hands. And I remember he said this. He said... Lord, you promise us that all things will work together for our good. But you didn't promise that all things that work for us are good. So Lord, in the midst of suffering, help us to trust you. This brother was right on. He was defining God's name correctly. People ask, how can all of these evil things happen? Where is God? And Jesus has promised you no pleasure on this earth. He has promised you nothing but a cross and the same suffering that he endured. But he has promised you this in his word, that all of that suffering will work together for our good because he who has promised is faithful. Our God is known by His promises. What has God promised us? If we answer this question correctly, it brings our hearts to worship. If we answer this question incorrectly, it brings our hearts to despair. None of us knows the day or hour of our death. We know that there's plenty of suffering each day. What has God promised us? God has promised that He will fulfill the salvation which He began in you. That's enough. God has promised that all of your sufferings are not in vain, but are useful for Him. And if he is the only one who knows why they happen, glory to God. God promised this. In the past, he promised Moses that there would be one who he would raise up, a prophet like Moses from among the Jews, from their own brothers, and to him all of us should listen. He promised that the Messiah, who had no form or majesty, that we should look at him and no beauty, that we should desire him. 
the man who was despised and rejected by all men, that he would send his son to be a man of sorrows and acquainted with much grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He promised that this man would be despised and that his own people would esteem him not. He promised that his very son would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, yet we would esteem him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. He promised that his Messiah would be pierced for our transgressions. He promised that the Messiah would be crushed for our iniquities. He promised that upon him, all of the chastisement that you and I deserved would be placed on the cross. And upon him in that cross, Jesus would bring us peace. And by his wounds, we all will be healed. God promises us, promises all of us, that he will have victory in the midst of suffering. Do you know God this morning? God wants to be known. He has spoken to us by his word and by his acts and by his relationship and by his promises and by his son. Do you want to know God this morning? God has acted. How? He sent forth His Son, born in the likeness of man, to die for our sins. God has related Himself to us. How? The Word has become flesh and dwelt with us. He has been pierced for our iniquities. The chastisement of us that we deserve was placed on Christ. And all those who receive Him by faith will have life. And God has revealed himself in his promises. God promises this, us that all who believe on his name will not perish but have eternal life. If you want to know God this morning, the answer is summed up in this. In the past, God spoke to us by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Let's pray. Glory to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself perfectly in the Son. You have acted on the cross. You have related to us by your Spirit. And you will save us by faith. Your promises can be trusted. God, in a week of murder and mayhem, in a week of racial hate and divide, you, Jesus Christ, come to unite all men and women by faith. Jesus, you are the answer then, today, and forevermore. You are God. I pray this morning that if there's someone here who doesn't know you as their Savior, that they would not leave here before seeking out my assistance or another pastor's assistance so that they might have a relationship with you. You, God, want to be known, but you can only be known through your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you this morning. Thank you for the salvation you've given us. Thank you for your Son. Amen.